Face the Music, a pre-ELO song-by-song podcast, is sponsored by fine Patreoners like Roland Lager. This is Face the Music, a pre-ELO song-by-song podcast. Episode negative zero eight zero. Night of Fear. The Move. Fear is the first record released by The Move. It came out on December 9, 1966. Written by Roy Wood, chunks of the song borrowed from Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture. The first time people heard the song was at a live performance in Croydon, South London on October 21, 1966. The next day, the band went into AdVision Studios and laid down the track. In the first of a long line of wild stunts hatched by manager Tony Secunda to promote their records, the band walked around Manchester carrying a fake hydrogen bomb. Many thought the song was written from Roy's experiences with LSD, but as Bev Bevan said, Nobody believed that Roy wasn't out of his head on drugs, but he wasn't. It was all fairy stories rooted in childhood. When hinges creak in doorless chambers, and strange and frightening sounds echo through the halls. That is the time when ghosts are present. I'm Eric Paul Johnson. And I'm Eric Winsenson. We move on from the Night Riders and the Chads, and then the Night Riders again, to the move. And it's a spooky move into a night of fear. <laughs> I like it. I'm not like super crazy wild about it, but I like it. This is the Moves debut single. This is interesting because you can see where the move is going to be going. Now, this was basically their first shot at saying who they were and Roy Wood being able to do something other than a silly lounge song. <laughs> A little bit of a spooky lyric, but what dominates it is the 1812 Overture Mm -hmm. by Tchaikovsky playing throughout the song here, both on guitar and bass. which I think really elevates it from more of what it would have been otherwise, because without it, it's not really psychedelic yet. It's kind of getting there. The rhythm's tiny bit off and everything, 
But for the most part, it still sounds kind of like a normal British invasion song from the time. Just starting to get that little bit of experimental touch that the Beatles were throwing in the same time that year. It's good. Carl Wayne's vocals are great on it. I think my problem is that the elements are there. They just haven't all come together yet. But it's a debut single. You, yeah. you kind of expect that. Usually a lot of debut singles sound a lot different. I mean, Arnold Lane doesn't sound hardly anything like C. Emily Play or a lot of stuff that's on Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Eric's talking about Pink Floyd, by the way. So I can't really blame them for it. At least they come out musically good and vocally wonderful because, yeah, Carl Wayne can sing the hell out of anything. Yeah. There was better to come, but it's not bad for what's still basically a bunch of kids trying to figure out what their sound is going to be. I like it. I didn't go crazy over the song itself, but there is something about it that I did love. If people are listening to this in production order and not number order, we just slogged through Mike Sheridan and the Night Riders, or Mike Sheridan's lot. I mean, it wasn't an awful slog. There was some good stuff in there, but... All of it, every bit of it was safe. It was wrapped in bubble wrap, puffy shoes to make sure you don't step on anything, a helmet inside the bubble wrap. It was safe. We're going to copy that sound because that sound is popular. We're going to copy other people's songs. We're not going to do our own songs except for one. So it's really nice after coming out of all that, even though there were some like Sheridan songs I did like, to step into this, which is not that I know everything that came out in 1966, but this sounds different than anything else I've heard. Just the bass alone, I think, separates it from everything else that I have heard from 1966. It's a very heavy bass, and it doesn't sound like a straight-up bass guitar. There's something else going on there with it. And also, as far as the instruments, there's nothing really different here from what Mike Sheridan and the Night Riders used. It's all just guitar, bass, drums, and singing. But all those instruments, even though they're the same ones used in the Night Riders, gets a completely different sound out of them that we never heard from them. And I think it's a good lesson for a lot of people, including, say, maybe Jeff Lynn for the last 20 or 30 years, that... You can use the same instruments, but get a completely different sound out of them. I think that's the thing that I love about the song. The tune, that's okay. But the production, Roy Wood and the Move are taking a risk. Because as far as I know, nothing else really sounds like this. And that I really appreciate. I'm just glad that <laughs> Roy Wood didn't leave Mike Sheridan and the Night Riders just to go on and do stuff that sounded like Mike Sheridan and the Night Riders. He took a chance. He did something different. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge to other older performers who are still making rock music. I agree. He did something different, and I think that was really a lot of the reason he left Mike Sheridan in the first place. Hmm. Well, he left the Knight Riders in the first place is he didn't want to be stuck in that box any longer. I mean, the Beatles were already proving on Rubber Soul and Revolver that there was a lot more you could do with the music than just play the same old thing over and over <laughs> again. Yeah. 1966, I think, 
there's a lot of songs that don't sound like anything else that was released that year because that's the year that a lot of people started experimenting both with the music and unfortunately with some other stuff that made their music suck about <laughs> three or four years down the road Yeah, until they figured out that it wasn't doing any good for them anymore. But yeah. it may add some creativity and give you some ideas at the beginning, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, after a while when you're just trying to spend all your money for it and trying to get more of it, yeah, doesn't do any good for yeah. you. Yeah, Strawberry Fields, that's friggin' awesome. Revolution number nine. Just, it's not a good idea. Yeah, but obviously there may be a little bit of other influence to this song. The thing is, is that with or without there was some experimentation to do something different starting mm -hmm. in 66. Yeah. I think it hit its peak probably around 68 because even the Beatles figured out, yeah, 67 is the year we're doing this music. And then after that, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Sergeant Pepper's a magical mystery story. That one. <laughs> yes. Magical and mystery tour. Yes. And Revolver. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's added to it and makes it sound different and crazy and stuff. And then you go into right after Magical Mystery Tour is the White Album. It's pretty much back right. to not a lot of extra fancy on that. There are some songs, but I mean, I'm so tired and back in the USSR and, you know, a lot of stuff. It's just guitar, and bass, drums. Right. But it doesn't sound like the guitar, bass, drums from their early albums. No. It's that and everything else they did afterwards is basically changing the sound and production to so it sounds very much like what you're going to get in the 70s. Yeah. But no, 66 and 67 are specific years where you can tell a lot of the experimentation. And I still find a lot of it in those years very interesting. Yeah. Because there's just so much and so many bands that just showed up out of nowhere and just disappeared <laughs> yeah after one song or bands where it had members that were going to go on to be with other bands that were going to be huge mm -hmm. that did a lot of very interesting music and not just that blues based rock that you had from 62 to 65 yeah and i find this interesting but there was a lot more going on at that particular time but this is Basically, I think it's kind of Roy Wood just kind of dipping his toes in saying, okay, so I don't have to listen to this other person telling me what to do anymore. <laughs> yeah. A couple of really cool things about this. Just right away, the first single. First of all, you can already start to see that ELO is in his mind, since for this song he's cribbing parts of the 1812 Overture. He's already working in classical stuff into rock songs. So there's that. And then there's the other thing. Right away, first single. It's number two in England. Mike Sheridan never had a hit on the British charts, not even in the low 100s. As good as some of their songs were, they never, ever made the British pop charts. The first time Roy Wood's out on his own with his own band. Number two. Maybe Mike Sheridan should have let Roy have a little more sway over the Night Riders than he did. Yeah, he definitely should, especially when 66 came along, mm -hmm. because I know in truth, in both the UK and the US, same old pop music dominated uh, forever. Yeah. 
you listen to some of the stuff that was at the top of the charts at the time and it's not that far from what it was earlier in the decade it's better produced and there's more strings and stuff like that on it and it's sappier <laughs> and it's more manipulative but well british have always been a little bit more open-minded i think in some cases uh yeah this would never have gone number two in the u.s even if it got released over here yeah. <laughs> so absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah but in both cases though this kind of stuff was the exception even mm -hmm. though now we realize how much people were doing at the time to really further stuff because a few years down the line it wasn't the exception anymore <laughs> yeah and there is something about else about this that i really really like i think it's really great when roy wood started having huge success with the move and number two singles right away from what I've heard Mike Sheridan say, he didn't turn into a big frickin' jerk and just resent Roy Wood. Mike Sheridan actually contributed artwork to Wizard album covers and also uh, worked with uh, the Wizard fan club. I really love it that for a change, <laughs> ex-band members weren't being assholes to each other because one of them left the group and had bigger success on his own than he did when he was with their group. Oh, that's a good thing to know. Yeah. Was it a hit or was it? Night of Fear was released on December 9th, 1966 on the Durham label with Disturbance as the B-side. It got to number 42 in Australia. It made it to number 30 in West Germany, number 19 in Denmark. In the Netherlands, it also hit number 19 on the Dutch Top 40 and number 18 on their Singles Top 100. Number 16 in South Africa, Rhodesia got it to number 9, number 6 in Ireland, and it did its best showing in New Zealand and the UK, reaching number two. Great moments in Electric Light Orchestra history. Roy, one of Britain's most eclectic and creative musicians, was interviewed at his home in Worcestershire by Alan Black. Uh, we needed a single out, and all the, all the fingers pointed at me because I was the only person in the band that did right. And, uh, I didn't really think that was that was Night of Fear was the mm -hmm. first record, and I, I didn't really think that uh, it was a particularly good song. But after the success of it, which it went to uh, went to number two, it gave me the the enthusiasm to uh, to sort of carry on and write write better things. Well, hello, this is Dr. Troy, and well, here we are, the move. This is the main reason I wanted to be involved in this podcast because I've always wanted to learn more about the move. I've always been fascinated by them. I've heard a handful of their songs, but I really wanted to get an education into their musical history. And this one right out of the box did not disappoint me at all. I love this song. I love the rhythm, I love the melody, I love the recurring motif from Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture, and for some reason when I hear this song, especially when they get to the line, your silent night has become a night of fear, I can't help but thinking that I'm someplace against my will, listening to a group of animatronic puppets play this song, for some reason, that's when you get to the tempo and all that. And I'm just thinking, this was 1966, and Roy was in the Night Riders, 1964, 1965. So within two years, he's gone from British pop to this. Now that's a little bit like the Beatles 
Now, of course, in England, it was four years between Please Please Me and Revolver. In the United States, it was more like two. But I think there's kind of a comparison there because you've got this group of mop tops singing British pop and then they drop a record like Revolver. And the best way I can illustrate the impact this might have had is imagine if the Beatles' debut album had been Rubber Soul or Revolver or a combination of the two instead of Please Please Me in England and introducing the Beatles in the United States. Imagine that. That is how blown away I was by this song. And again, this is the first one out of the box. So I'm really looking forward to hearing more. I gotta get my move on. I'll talk to you next week. Face the Music, a pre-ELO song-by-song podcast, is a production of Radio Trolla Entertainment, Assorted Deli Meets Amalgamated. You can contact us by voicemail at 623-850-3375 or email us at eloftmpodcast at gmail.com and we'll read and reply to it on the show. Keep up to date by joining our Facebook group and spread the word by sharing the link or giving us a quick rating on iTunes. Subscribe to our YouTube page, the Electric Light Orchestra podcast channel, to hear other goodies. You can financially support the podcast at patreon.com slash elopod or PayPal using the podcast's email address or send a check or money order to P.O. Box 1932, Superior, Arizona 85173. Next week, episode negative zero seven nine disturbance. Okay. <laughs>